are listening to the Plano Pulse, a Plano Chamber podcast keeping you in tune with the heartbeat of the local business community. It's time for the Plano Pulse. Thank you for joining us for Plano Pulse, recorded here at the Plano Chamber office. I'm Kelly Marcellus, President and CEO of the Plano Chamber. And I'm Lisa Smith, 2020 Chair of the Board of the Plano Chamber. This podcast is brought to you by WorkSuites. The Plano Chamber needs your help to find the Best of Plano. Nominations are now open for our 2020 Best of Plano Awards this fall. Categories include Small Business Person of the Year, Community Partner of the Year, Innovator of the Year, and more. So visit the Best of Plano page on planochamber.org to nominate an individual or a business before the deadline of Friday, July 17th. Well, it's July. We're back in the office. We're thrilled to be here with our guests today, recording this podcast in person. And so let's just go ahead and jump right in. Today's guest is Dr. Emily Williams-Knight, President and CEO of the Texas Restaurant Association, the leading business association for Texas's $70 billion food service industry, which spans over 50,000 locations throughout the state, employing a workforce of 1.2 million, or 12% of the state's employment. Prior to joining the Texas Restaurant Association in July of 2019, she held leadership positions with Study Group, Laureate International Universities, New England University, and Pearson. Dr. Knight, thank you so much for being here with us today. Great. Thanks for having me. Great. Before we get to our questions, Dr. Knight, I know a lot of us have heard about the Texas Restaurant Association, but our listeners may not be familiar with exactly what you do. So tell us about your organization. Sure. Um, So we uh, indeed represent about 50,000 food service institutions across the state. Um, If you think of every corner of the 254 counties in Texas, uh, there's a restaurant. There's a place to dine. Um, We contribute about 51% of the food dollar to the state of Texas. And so if you think about that, not only consumer reach, but the fact that we are employing more than 1.2 million people across the state. Um, So I always say we're a force to be reckoned with. Uh, You can't typically go one day without interacting with some type of food service or restaurant. Um, Our members go from a coffee shop and a food truck all the way up to very high-end fine dining. And we really are their voice at the legislature in Texas, at the local city level, but also now federally as we're navigating this COVID-19 crisis. As we all know, the stay-at-home orders and closing of in-restaurant dining this spring as part of the efforts to flatten the curve is probably one of the major obstacles that the restaurant industry has faced in our lifetime. It was, I know for me personally, just driving down the street and seeing so many restaurants, parking lots completely bare was um, was just kind of an odd experience because you expect to see people in restaurants gathering for many reasons. Can you tell us a little bit about the immediate impact to the restaurant industry and when these changes went into effect? Yeah, you know, we call it the middle of March. Uh, We just focus on the middle of March because literally overnight, you watch dining rooms across the entire state close. um, And they were closed for six weeks. And many of them are still closed today. Um, I think the immediate result was one of tremendous fear. Uh, There was jobs lost to the tune now of 700,000 jobs have been lost in Texas. We've lost more jobs nationally than any industry times three. And we are about one of the slowest to recover because you can see this across um, the state as people are not as comfortable going back to dining. Um, If you also think about a restaurant, when you close for a period of six weeks, you also lose all your inventory. And what happened first was they realized their business interruption insurance wasn't going to come through because it was a virus. So now you have a single business owner, let's say in Plano, 
that has typically about two weeks of cash on hand. We're not a high receivables business. And they had to pivot overnight to delivery, to takeout, alcohol to go, and retail were two of the first things we achieved with the governor to say, let's give any revenue opportunity we can to the state. Um, but there was no doubt that within this first about eight weeks post-crisis, we already lost 12% of Texas's 50,000 restaurants. We are small business owners. We are in every nook and cranny here in Plano. And you know, as this continues on, we are going to see this continued struggle of our sector. It has been literally catastrophic. And as you said, it's the worst crisis we've ever faced in the history of dining across the nation. Well, it's just so interesting to me because when you think of having a meal, not only are you usually in close proximity with other people, but you're touching so many things, even if you have all your manners in place. Right, right. So it is amazing how, you know, you guys, the restaurants and, and you as an association have really helped break that down. That's right. Yep. It's a new way. We're learning how to actually dine together again. Yeah. <laughs> a consumer and restaurant, right? That relationship, that yeah. trust is being rebuilt every day that we're able to open those dining rooms again. So true. You know, one of the amazing things about entrepreneurs and Texans is how adaptable they are. And, you know, I was so impressed by the innovation that our local restaurants put in place to continue doing business and serving our community during the crisis, whether it was curbside or delivery or, or what are some of the other new business practices that you saw being put in place. Yeah, you know, the resiliency of this sector is real. Um, this is a sector that in the middle of this crisis was actually leading the charge of feeding first responders and those that were most in need. As restaurants began to close, many of them were taking their inventory to feed their own families, their own employees, to make sure they were fed. They stepped up and fed first responders in hospitals. They continue to show that spirit of why they're in hospitality, right, which is a service to others. At the same time, you can imagine pivoting your business model overnight is, is, is not easy. Um, especially at a time when your consumer is told to stay home. And so we did, a, we did a couple things as an association I'm really proud of with our members, which was we knew we had to give them a lifeline of revenue. So we first passed alcohol to go so you could pick up your food and pick up a drink and take it home, right? That was another safe way. But again, a lot of them made quite a bit of revenue through this channel. We then started to identify food insecure areas across the state. So if you're 51% of the food dollar and you shut that down, you're going to start to have Texans that don't have access to food. So we went back to the governor uh, with Representative Tan Parker and got a bulk waiver, which allows restaurants now to do everything from milk, eggs. At the time, it was toilet paper, if you remember those early days. And so you could actually go up to a restaurant and get a box that included fresh produce, fresh meat, you know, milk, eggs, and your to-go food. And that's something we'd like to solidify in the long term. Um, we then actually went to the governor's office, actually came to us and said, we have a lot of folks that can't get out to get food. Can we create some type of program that allows if you order a meal, let's say I ordered a meal tonight, I could add $25 onto my check and that money would go toward the restaurant to make a meal for someone in need, maybe someone who can't get out of their home, an elderly person. And then Favor, which is part of HEB, their delivery company, actually delivered all those meals for free. And so we're able to help thousands of people that way. I think what you've seen is their ability to pivot but now their ability to bring people back in their dining room with guidelines that we help obviously set with the governor, it's an entirely different way of doing business. And yet they show up every day because they want to deliver that experience to the guest. And so right now we're navigating this new world of masks in some counties. Some counties don't require masks. Can you come in? Can you not? Can you sit on the patio? How far apart are you? Every day our restaurants are trying to navigate. Every day the rules change 
or the guidelines are changing. And so our job as an association is to message every single day the consistency that they need desperately. I'm a big fan of the um, the boxes, the, the meal delivery kits yes. um, with children at home. It's sometimes nice to just have somebody else tell Absolutely. me how to do it, but I still feel like I'm cooking at home. Yes. And I've noticed a lot of restaurants are starting to do kind of their, their, the meals they're known for in home delivery kits. So that's been really interesting to see. Yeah. And I think one of the other innovations, um, HEB was the first to lead this, but we actually can put those meal kits now inside grocery stores. Oh, just better. another way for a restaurant. And so where you see one of the challenges has been not all food transports well, mm-hmm. right? And so restaurants are having to almost reshape how they create their menu because not all food can actually go high-end food out the door and take out. But the, the, the grocery stores have stepped up huge to support us. And if you have a great meal and can stop and pick it up at HEB to feed your family um, from a restaurant, that's a, that's a nice collaboration we'd like to see continue. Absolutely. Well, as a nonprofit professional, I can I can say with confidence that restaurants are among the biggest supporters of nonprofits, um, and that didn't change during these difficult times, which you just talked a little bit about in them stepping up. But tell us about some of the community giving you've seen over the past few months and a little bit more about, you know, what motivates restaurants to be so generous with their support? Yeah, I think it's just the heart of hospitality. I mean, you don't come into this industry typically because you think that, you're going to sit at home and manage from a desk. You're going to be with your guest and you're going to provide a service. And every time a guest comes in, it's an opportunity to create a new experience for them that's memorable. And I don't think that that has changed at all. And what they've had to do when those dining rooms closed was channel that in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So just last week in this area, we had Tyson come in and we had our many restaurants come and we just gave out 50 pound boxes of chicken to families in need because they could feed them, feed them themselves over months. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, as an association, I was so proud of this. We knew that the community wanted to help restaurants as much as restaurants wanted to help the community. So we pivoted our 501c3 and created the Texas Restaurant Relief Fund. We've had $2.4 million in donations. Many of it has been grassroots and we return that to the community, to independent restaurants, which you have a tremendous number in Plano. Um, if you get a $3,000 grant, that may be just what you need for the next two weeks to buy inventory. And so you see that, and I think it's why we're just imploring people to to go to restaurants, right? And if you can't go or you don't feel like you're, you're ready to go, buy a gift card, do something because that restaurant needs to be there. And to your point, they've sponsored your baseball team. They sponsored the chamber events. They're, you know, always giving out food, right? They're the first we call in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And now I think they are in their own crisis and we need to rally around them. Well, I think that's so important to emphasize that if you don't feel comfortable going out, buy that gift card and and save it and use it later or give it it. as a gift or or do whatever, but buy that gift card and support your local restaurants. All of us in this room love gift cards. Hint, hint. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you just mentioned um, a second ago that we do have a lot of restaurants in Plano. And I know as the president of the Texas Restaurant Association, you can't play favorites. But is there a specific kind of cuisine that you like eating out at a restaurant? Yes. So I was raised in New England um, and Connecticut. So I'm a huge seafood person. But gosh, once you come to Texas, Tex-Mex is is where it's at. And so (laughs) and we have incredible members. And I guess maybe living in this crisis, the the role of the margarita has become more important in my life. (laughs) And so I love Tex-Mex. I love Mediterranean. I just love the idea of being around a table. And I think that's what I miss the most is hearing the conversation from others. I don't know them. I've never, you know, I've never met them. But somehow you're a family when you're inside a restaurant dining room. And I think that's what I miss the most, no matter what I'm eating. Very cool. 
Well, we have more questions for Dr. Knight, including how Texas restaurants are faring two months after the economy began to reopen. But first, let's take a quick break for a message from the presenting sponsor of Plano Pulse, Work Suites. Are you tired of working from the local coffee shop? Move to Work Suites and get more work done than ever before. Work Suites offers the perfect balance between private and shared office space and attracts serious businesses and entrepreneurs who know the power of a great collaborative environment. Choosing Work Suites puts you in a community of inspiring professionals serious about getting real work done. Contact WorkSuites.com or call 888-312-WORK to check out any of their three Plano locations or 15 DFW area locations. That's 888-312-WORK or WorkSuites.com. Welcome back to Plano Pulse. We're here with Dr. Emily Williams-Knight, President and CEO of the Texas Restaurant Association. So as of recording right now, today, we are in the we are in phase three of Governor Abbott's reopening of the Texas economy and in-restaurant dining is an option for our residents again, which we just talked about and it's very exciting. But this obviously comes with lots of guidelines that are updated frequently. How are you keeping your members up to date and educated on the latest safety guidelines and recommendations? Yeah, I think what we found is um, communication, communication, communication. We had typically done a newsletter a week to our members. Um, I think one of the most important things we've done is we do a nightly message that consolidates everything from the federal level down to the local. That has allowed, although it's tiring some nights because it's often a video of me or I, I write a personal note and I write a personal note to every member and say, these are the things that matter. Don't forget about these points. And I think it's really been transformational for them to know that there's one source of truth. The hardest thing our restaurants have right now is there's information coming from every direction. So we feel as an association, our role is to consolidate that, vet it against what's required and push that information out. Um, I also think where we've really, I think just landed it's so smartly was on our restaurant and bar promise. So before we could actually open, we assembled a group of chain leaders across the state as well as independent restaurants. We went to the FDA, the CDC, the USDA and said, let's put together what we believe are the best practices for reopening restaurants. The governor adopted those as well as adding some additional parameters from his medical team. And that restaurant promise, we encourage every restaurant to post on the outside of their door or on their front door as you walk in. So it's two parts, and this is so important. One is what you expect as a guest when you come in. And the second is what, as a guest, is expected of you. And I think that's the part that sometimes we forget, that in order to get through this crisis and rebuild trust, we've got to have that guest partnership. There are things like now wearing your mask, sitting at your table and not going and, you know, congregating with groups. But there's a role that you play as a guest. Um, I think that's actually very critical. And, and, and really third is we've really partnered with our state and local officials all the way to Governor Abbott. And so before things are come out, we have a heads up, we can communicate, and then we also can hold our restaurants and bars accountable. You know, we have cases right now where some bars maybe are overcrowded compared to what's the requirement. And we're really comfortable actually calling that out and saying everyone, you know, 3,700 bars have been visited. We've closed 17. It's a really good, that's good progress. But for those 17, let's make sure we do the right thing. And so it's communication, it's consistency, and it's really staying close with our elected officials to make sure that we can stay hand in hand because this is new for them too. And the good news is they all want this industry to survive, but they're balancing that economy and public health. And so we're trying to walk that very careful, careful balance as well. Well, we're approaching two months since we entered phase one of the uh, reopening of the economy. How has the, the process been for the, the industry and what's been the biggest hurdles you've seen? 
Yeah, I think it, it is, it's a consistency. So we saw sales start to recover about 10 days ago. We started to see most restaurants start to recover some sense of sales. Um, in the last week, if, if likely we've seen some of the numbers rise, um, we've seen that start to decline again. I think what we have seen as well is that the role of carryout, curbside and delivery has maintained to be very strong. And so while the dining rooms are open and consumers are coming back, there's still a very strong demand for delivery and takeout. I think the importance of that is to know that we're not, it's too early to say if that's a new consumer behavior that's here to stay. I think it's far too early, but it does reinforce to restaurants that if they don't have that capability today or it's limited, that they've got to somehow invest in making sure they can have their food to go because it's certainly something the consumer still wants. So are you seeing the restaurants begin to rebound financially? Um, are they able to, to be successful without being at 100%? No, a majority are not. And so the 100%, the 75% that we're at today, so we started at 25, we stepped to 50, we got to 75. We were the first industry to be allowed to go to 75. Majority of restaurants are still sitting at 50 or below. And the reason is the six feet of social distancing. So with six feet of social distancing, you may have X number of square feet in your restaurant. If you get additional capacity to expand with six feet, you actually can't add any additional tables. So many of them are still sitting at 50%. Um, I think that's one of the first challenges. The second is we just did a poll across the state. About 80% of restaurants say they won't break even this year. That's unsustainable long-term. And I think that's why we've put a plan together to Governor Abbott called the, it's actually called the Texas Restaurant Survival Plan because it really is about survival. And there's eight points from tax relief to the creation of a recovery fund to help restaurants navigate the PPE costs, the reconfiguration of their restaurant. But I would say we are projecting today and, and it, it's, it's alarming as many times I've had to say it, but it will be at least 30% of our restaurants likely won't make it. And that is an astonishing number across the state, considering last year we contributed just under $5 billion in tax revenue. And so there's, there's an economic impact, there's a social impact, but then there's also a state and local impact to the tax base that many of our, obviously all of our communities use to take care of public service. And uh, so it's dire. It's a very dire, we, we want to be positive, but it's certainly we are in a very difficult position right now. And we've seen, um, I know I've heard on the news over the past few months, you know, some of these very long-standing, beloved restaurants, kind of institutions in places like Austin or downtown Dallas are closing. How has that had an impact on the morale of the industry? It hurts. And I think it's what, in a way, we're using it as a catalyst to make sure the consumer understands that if they don't get out now and our legislators don't help, that you're going to see more of this. Um, you've seen so many restaurants that have historic ties. I had a news interview last week with a reporter in Dallas who called, and she was very emotional. And I've done a lot of media, so I've gotten to know her. And she said, I just drove up last night to my favorite. The, Emily, the doors are closed. Do you know what happened? I said, they closed. There's no goodbye. There's no farewell. They're just closed. And for her, she'd celebrated her, when she was pregnant, her daughter's fifth birthday, her daughter's 10th birthday. They've been in business 40 years and like a light switch, they were gone. And we are seeing this as this continues. We really thought by May we would have turned a corner. And in June, we're seeing a big step back. And I think what you're going to see is these restaurants that drive tourism as well. I mean, we haven't, today we won't talk about tourism, but the number of folks that come to places like Austin or now Dallas or Houston across our state for our growing food scene, when that starts to become unavailable, they're going to choose to go somewhere else. 
And so for us, it, there's so many reasons to save the sector, but you're right. It is painful to watch a restaurant that's been business for 80 years, three generations literally close overnight because they just, it's the uncertainty. You know, if we have cash on hand to continue moving your business forward, but no path to financial profitability, you're likely going to say, I'm out. And that's what we're seeing across the state. So for those that are staying in business and able to weather this storm, so to speak, how are they evolving? And what do you think those long-term changes will be for restaurants moving forward? There's a lot that we're seeing and we're tracking some new trends. I think the idea of contactless, whether it be payment, order, right? All that sort of eliminating the contact points within a restaurant. I think you're going to see that stay and that's going to be all through technology. And we're seeing that innovation. I wish I'd bought stock in a plexiglass company two months ago um, (laughs) because the role of plexiglass is here to stay. Um, That uh, dividing a restaurant and still having an atmosphere and how you lay out your restaurant, I think is going to be something that's here to stay. Uh, The rise of ghost kitchens and many restaurants being in a similar kitchen that then pushes food out for delivery or even pickup. Um, the ghost kitchens have been around for a while, but I think this this virus has sort of catapulted that concept. I think you will see reduced footprint in restaurants. I think the mega restaurant that had massive capacity, you're going to likely see that footprint start to decrease. The fixed cost of rent on these buildings is typically the biggest driver for a restaurant. I think you'll see limited menus continue. Um, right when we reopened, we were hit with skyrocketing meat prices because of the packing plan issue. And so as you think about, we've had to sort of consolidate and almost go to a variable menu with what you can get and what's going to be affordable for a restaurant. So that creativity will will stay. Um, and I think, you know, what, what fine dining is going to look like, I think we're a little unsure. Um, that experience, the number of business meetings you'll hold around a fine dining, um, it's all going to change. And so we, we're tracking it very closely. Um, just today, and I'm so proud of this, we're launching actually that the, the idea of guidelines is critical and restaurant operators just don't know exactly how to do things. And so we partnered with Dallas College as well as the Workforce Commission secured a healthy grant. And we're actually launching a training today that will ensure every employee has free access to this post-COVID world of operations. But then we have a third-party evaluator that will come in every month and look at that to see if you're meeting those standards and be able to provide that feedback right to the, to the manager. So we feel like we're stepping into this place to help drive that consistency that restaurants and our consumers need. And that must be more difficult for the smaller mom-and-pop type restaurants versus Very. the larger restaurants who can accommodate all those changes. So so is that is communication the key with them? Yes, and- communication, uh, webinars. We do a tremendous number of webinars to help them navigate. I mean, we also had a number of federal pieces of legislation that came out, like the Families First Act and paid sick leave. There's requirements that now they have to follow they may not be aware of. The Paycheck Protection Program. Congressman Roy and myself and Dean Phillips from Minnesota led that initiative to get those changes done, and we're so proud of that. What does that mean for business, right? There is so much at the federal, state, and local level just on how to make your business compliant today that an average operator who's really focuses on either being a great chef or taking care of guests, this is not where they want to spend their time. And so the association, we think, has really risen. We've had a lot of new members join because they need the support right now. They need someone to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And we feel like that's the role we can play. You were talking about just different technologies and different ways of doing things. So I did venture out. I went to Mesomaya at Park and Preston um, last week and 
they were very they, they were very spaced, so I felt very safe. Um, but they didn't have menus. I had to use my cell phone to scan a QR code for them to bring up the menu, which I thought was a really. I mean, I was like, well, why haven't we been doing this all along? Because well, you it, never know what you're going to be getting when you get the menu. So and that's that great, contactless option. Yeah. Interesting enough for an operator, if you have someone maybe that's a little bit older that's buying, they don't want to read on their phone, and they or, or they can't. Mm-hmm. And so, and we've gone to single use menus right now under the new guidelines. So restaurants have to print a menu one time for each customer. Mm-hmm. So we're working really hard to get to a sanitize after use um, for that reason. But yeah. again, that role of technology from the majority is going to just be a game changer. And that's where we need that investment from the state to help us make that pivot. Well, great. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any other new initiatives that the, the association's working on that you'd like to share with us? And, and how would the general public, how can they help, number yes. one, besides uh, besides continuing to, to eat out and purchase those gift cards, but how can they keep up with what's going on? Yeah, I think most important, there's such a grassroots effort to support restaurants, and the Texas Restaurant Relief Fund is just the best way to do that, right? We just received a $500,000 gift from Shiner Beer, right? Shiner Restaurants matter to Shiner. Shiner's just a Texas institution. Um, but we received even more from just grassroots individuals that want to help their local restaurants. So if you go to txrestaurant.org, you can see the restaurant relief page. You can donate. It goes right to an independent restaurant. And so I think that's number one. Second is that when you go out to eat, please post about it. If you have a good experience, post about it. Share that with your friends. Help give them some good news to reinforce that this was a great place to eat. Uh, We talked about this earlier. Buy a gift card, put it in your pocket, save it for later. Don't use it now. Give them that cash infusion that allows them to keep those employees one more day on the books or order more inventory to keep the restaurant moving. Um, Those are some of the things that you can do, I think, as a consumer. And as an association, we're going to continue to lead from the front. We're setting our legislative agenda for next session. It will be to solidify things like alcohol to go. It'll be looking at the tax situation that we're in, um, as well as a relief fund that we're gaining more and more support to help our restaurants pivot their business models to, to, to really sustain us in the future. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Dr. Knight, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and chat with us this morning. I know I learned a lot. I feel like we could sit here and talk about this all day. Thanks again for coming in, and uh, we will definitely be watching to see what happens with the restaurant industry as we move forward. Excellent. Thank you for your support. Yes, thanks, Dr. Knight. What an interesting discussion. We'd like to give special thanks to WorkSuites for their partnership as the presenting sponsor of Planar Pulse. Want to join WorkSuites as a Plano Pulse sponsor and get your business in front of our listeners? Contact the Plano Chamber to learn more. Thank you so much for tuning in to Plano Pulse. Let us know what you think, share with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to tune in for our next episode. Hey everyone, Kelly Marcellus here, your president and CEO of the Plano Chamber. Are you looking to kickstart your Friday morning with dozens of local business owners and professionals? Set your alarm and join us for our weekly business interchange meetings for virtual networking worth waking up early for. Meetings are held at 7.30 a.m. every Friday morning on Zoom. Join us and share your 30-second commercial promoting your business and be the first to hear what's going on with other local businesses. Visit planochamber.org to learn more and we'll see you next Friday.